Hey, do me a favor and give the band and all of your pastors, give them a big hand, let them know you are. In case you haven't figured it out, Pastor Andy and I are pretty good friends, okay? We, we admire one another, we love one another, and I just couldn't be prouder of the work that he's doing here, and I am so appreciative of the congregation and the staff supporting him so very, very well. I just want you to know it makes me awfully proud of the church and of what God's doing here. If you didn't get excited about seeing all of these people being baptized and the wonderful worship music that you enjoyed, there's something stuck in your exciter, okay? And so it was just, it's just been a, a wonderful time to gather together and worship the Lord. The, let's go ahead and talk on the subject of marriage. Now, you need to know I've been married a very, very long time. Pastor Andy will continue on in the series. He'll talk about marriage a week, and he'll also talk about singleness a week. And I, I told him, I said, Andy, you'll have to handle the singleness week because I just don't remember ever being single. Now, in this next January 14th, Debbie and I will have been married for 40 years, okay? And so, thank you. That, She's been tough to live with, but no, I'm just saying. But actually, even before we were married, Debbie and I were together almost exclusively from the time we were 14 years old. And so we have always been together. Friends, the, one, of the, one of the things that people misunderstand about marriage is they kind of get this idea that, well, you know, we've been married a long time. I don't want to expect too much. The, I love her more today than I did then. I think she, she is just, she is my soulmate, and she is, our marriage has grown more productive over time, and that's what I want for you. We're going to talk about how do we actually build our marriage? How do we make it more productive? How do we, how do we make it something that's not to be endured, but enjoyed? Take a look at the scripture with me, and in the church app or in your Bible, take a look at 1 Corinthians I'm going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to pick it up at verse 4. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. From this scripture, you should get a clear picture that the Bible is not talking about the feelings of love. It is talking about the actions of love. Friends, you need to know you will not improve your marriage just by sharing your feelings. You cannot treat someone shabbily and then tell them how much you love them and expect for your marriage to blossom. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that what we do is what increases the love in our marriage. So, take a look with me in your sermon notes. Letter A, successful marriage is about giving, not receiving. Now, feelings may drive initial courtship, but your marriage relationship is built on the doing. And you know those feelings of young love, they're wonderful. The, you know, the, the, she just looks at him, and, and she just, ooh, he's so handsome. And he looks at her, and she is so pretty and just smoking hot. I mean, you know, the, and that, those feelings are great in the courtship stage. But those are not the feelings that will grow a marriage. 
Those feelings are wonderful to experience, and, and being in love with someone is a great feeling, but that's not the building block of marriage. It's not built on just what we feel. It's built on what we do, and the Bible gives us a list of things that help grow our marriage and several things that damage our marriage. Our culture, courtship events, and wedding day all teach us that marriage should be both easy and perfect. You need to know it's rarely either one of those. It's not easy, and it's not perfect. The, oftentimes, people will say things to me like, you know, I get along really well with everybody except my wife or my husband. Friends, that's because those other people don't have to live with you. If they had to live with you, you wouldn't be getting along with them quite so well. You see, living with someone is different. Being with someone in the marital relationship, no, it, it's not easy. And it's certainly not perfect. You know, we, we have these television shows about, you know, wedding days, and we call a woman who's, you know, really wanting everything to be perfect. You should, they call them bridezillas. And, and, and you know, our, our culture has all these strange ideas that somehow the future of the marriage is built on that perfect wedding day. I got to tell you, I've been, I've been pastoring since Noah got off the ark, and that is just not how it is. Okay, I have, been to, I have been to some of the smallest, sweetest, most inexpensive weddings and watched as their relationship blossomed. I, I've been to other weddings where they're releasing butterflies and doves, and I'm just hoping they don't poop on me, and I mean, just it, it, all this stuff, and, and then watch the marriage just disintegrate. No, marriage is not easy, and it's not perfect. It takes work, and there are going to be problems and conflicts and struggles in your marital relationship. If you're going through a time of struggle, first, don't panic. Debbie and I have been married for four, almost 40 years, and we have thought about everything from A to Z. She has opinions on everything, and man, she's wrong a lot. But she won't be here till the 1140 service, and so at the 1140 service, I'll be wrong a lot, Okay or only once and may not live to tell the story, but genuine love and a successful marriage requires choosing to give up the childish I want focus. An adult thinks about others. Now, I'm going to make an overgeneralization, and I want to admit to you, it's an overgeneralization. An overgeneralization means that, that I'm going to generalize about something that's not always true. Okay, a child is generally not as mature as a teenager. A teenager is generally not, forgive that squeaking there, they haven't been using my chalkboard while I'm gone, so it gets a little squeaky. The, an adult is generally more mature than a teen. Just out of curiosity, tell the person next to you whether you think in general terms, Pastor Ron is normally right there. Go ahead and talk to the person next to you, see if you agree. I didn't say always right. But generally, like that makes sense to you, right? Okay. How about this? Married. Parent. Maturity moving this direction. Now, again, you may disagree with me, and this is not always true. 
But it has been my many decades of experience that a married young adult tends to be more mature than an unmarried young adult. Now, you may not have experienced that, but as pastoring, I have. And my theory is it's because when we get married, now we have to think about more than just us. I have to worry about more than my car. I have to worry about more than my stuff. I have to worry about more than my schedule. I have, I have to worry about more. I have to think of someone else. And then when we become a parent, now the game is on, okay? At that point, you really have to think about someone else. If I had to divide the world into two groups, I would divide it this way. Those who have held the head of a vomiting child and those who haven't. Because those are two different people. No matter who you were when you went into that bathroom, you came out somebody different. You went in scared of life. You went in afraid of spiders. You went in thinking, you know, there's a little mess here. You went in there a sissy and you came out a man, okay? I mean, it's just, it changes you. Why? Because all of a sudden, you know they are dependent on me. You know they need you. And it matures us. One of the keys of marriage is moving past the childlike I want focus. And I'm not saying that's wrong in a child. What I'm saying is as we grow into adulthood and maturity, we have to move past the I want focus. We have to think about someone else. In number four, I said it plainly, we are both here to serve in this marriage. If you're sitting next to your husband or wife, turn to him and say, I'm here to serve. Go ahead and say it. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Now, if we're both doing that, it only makes sense that there are times when we are, sir. My wife is very kind to me, and she helps me. But if I start developing that kind of I want attitude, like, you know, honey, get me this, and, you know, she'll call down and, and say, honey, are you okay? I said, yeah, would you get me that? She'll ask, your legs, your legs okay? Yeah, honey, can you get me? It's not broken or anything? We are here to serve one another. One of the keys of starting to, to build a marriage is understanding why you're there. Our culture says you're there for that person to make you happy, to make you complete. Friends, that's not what the Bible teaches marriage is about. The marriage is about us serving one another. In, in fact, look at, look at our model. Christ came, what, to, to, to tell us what to do? No, he came to serve the model for every husband, the model for every wife is, I'm here to serve my spouse. If you're not married, you need to know as, as you look as, towards the years ahead that you're not going to go into marriage, you know, well, they're going to do all this stuff. No, you're, you're going to be there to serve one another. It builds the relationship. Showing love through actions is like depositing money in the bank. It creates relationship equity. As I am kind, my relationship grows. As I am unkind, it diminishes. Have you ever noticed how you can walk in and <clears throat> say something and five seconds later you're in this huge argument? You know, all of a sudden someone has a huge reaction to what appears to be a very small thing. Why do people have big reactions to very small things? Now, it's not all about marriage. Sometimes, and I put this in the notes on your app, sometimes it's about emotional fatigue, emotional distress. It was, we're overwhelmed by emotional stress, fear, or frustration. Sometimes a big reaction is because we're overtired. 
How many of you have ever been in a restaurant and you saw a child just kind of pitching a fit and when you looked at them, they were just kind of drooping and you said, that child's overtired. He or she needs a nap. Those there, being sometimes as adults, when we're overtired or physically hurting, you have a toothache, you got a stomach ache, all of a sudden you're jumping on everybody around you. Those sometimes big reactions to small things are caused by emotional stress or physical stress. But if we have a low relationship equity balance, that will cause big reactions to small things. Here's what it looks like. The, the relationship, th- kind of think of it as here's our relationship bucket. And you know, there are things that you do that make deposits into that bucket. As you are kind, you make deposits. As you are unkind, you make withdrawals. Friends, the relationship, how it feels, is determined by how we are being treated and how we are treating the other. And so if the relationship balance gets way down here and then something small happens, there's a huge blow up. It's not about the thing. It's about the low balance. But if we practice kindness, if we practice what's in our list of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does keep a record of wrongs. If we practice those things and the relationship level rises, this will cover up. The old saying is love covers a multitude of sins. As a pastor, I changed that several years ago. Love covers a multitude of stupid, okay? In other words, as we show, and I'm not talking about the feelings of love, I'm talking about the actions of love. The actions of love build the relationship equity balance. Why is it that people are married 15, 20, 18 years, they wake up one morning and they look at the person next to them and they don't feel anything? It's because they have neglected this concept. They have neglected what God's word says builds a relationship. The Bible does not talk about the feelings of love. The Bible talks about the actions of love. Oftentimes when we're having a problem, we want to try and fix it by talking about what we're feeling when the way to fix it is going to be based on what we are doing. When you do kind things for someone, your balance goes up. When you do hurtful things, your balance goes down. And the key is small daily deposits. Grand gestures will rarely pull a negative account back to a positive one. In other words, the, uh, oftentimes we'll treat someone shabbily and then take them to Hawaii and think that's going to fix everything. Treat someone shabbily and, and buy them a wonderful piece of jewelry or a new tennis racket or whatever. Friends, you need to know oftentimes the only impact that tennis racket is going to have is on your head, okay? In other words, it is not going to fix 
a relationship that has been based on unkindness that is draining the balance, it is going to have to be turned around. How do I turn it around? Verse four, by being patient, being kind, not being envious, not being boastful, not being proud, not being rude, by not being self-seeking, not being easily angered, by not keeping a record of wrong, by protecting, by trusting, by hoping, and by persevering. That's how I build a marriage. That's what love looks like. It's not about those, ooh, ah, he's so cute. Ooh, ah, she's so pretty. That's not what it's about. In fact, I don't know, sometimes at weddings, oh, man. You know, sometimes I, I want to tell young couples, do you really know what you're getting into here? I, I mean, and you can't do that on the wedding day, but I've been tempted. <laughs> you know, I, I, just because I see them looking at one another and, and, and you know, I, I, know it's, I know it's sweet, and it's not, but sometimes I'm thinking, man, you know, do you really know what's going to build this marital relationship? Some people have been married a long time and they haven't figured out this concept. If you're struggling in your marriage and you are finding that there is a, 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 just an incredible amount of stress in your marriage, this is it. You need to know that. This is both the antidote and the disease. It will not be fixed by grand gestures. It's going to be fixed by patience, kindness, perseverance, and hope. The competition with your spouse will drain the relationship. Competition causes us to to go down in level while encouragement makes deposits. Children argue about who's right, but adults learn to let things go. A few weeks ago, we got a, a text from my niece and her two sons, which they would be my brother's grandchildren, the, her two sons, they said they wanted to come down and stay with us for a few days. They're out on spring break, and we live uh, in Carlsbad, so they, and they knew Aunt Debbie. Aunt Debbie takes them everywhere, takes them to the beach. She's a lot of fun. All right, and so, you know, they wanted to come down and stay with us, and so they, they came down, and I, we're waiting at the airport, and, and, you know, I'm standing there, and Debbie's trying to figure it out. She says, okay, these are Ray's grandkids, so these would be your great nephews, and I said, well, Right now, let's just call them my good nephews. After they're here a week, then we'll decide, okay? Maybe they're great, maybe they're not, okay? And so, and they are. They're sweet boys. I love them to death. And they, you know, they wanted to come down and be with us, which meant a lot to us. But they get in the car, and we're driving back from San Diego to Carlsbad. And one of them, the the younger one, he had this game where it shows you a picture, and you got to figure out where it is. And so, you know, he pulls up a picture, and they're in the back seat. And, you know, he, he says, oh, man, that's, that's New York. And his brother, who's a year, a year and a half or so older, said, no, that's Chicago. And then he said, New York, Chicago, 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 New York, Chicago. New-. And I mean, I had these visions, these pictures of me as a younger man just flailing in the back seat, just trying to get a hold of those boys that I raised. Friends, they're kids, and they're good kids, and it's okay that they argue back and forth like that. It's not nearly so cute when you're 40. Not nearly so cute when you and your husband, you and your wife keep arguing back and forth about who is right. Friends, you need to know nobody cares who's right. People used to come to me for marriage counseling, and I hated that. I hated it. 
because they would spend so much time trying to convince me of who's right and they didn't understand, I don't care, I don't care, I just really don't care and nobody else cares. All we care about is that you have a productive relationship. We don't care if it was his fault. We don't care if it was her fault. We really just don't care. And that sounds bad in counseling, all right? And so I, tr- I didn't say that. I just sat there and nod my head, tried to look wise, even though I'm thinking I don't care, okay? Nobody cares whether it was her fault or his fault. Why is it that you're working so hard? That's what we do as children. As we grow older, we mature And we learn to let go of who is right and who's wrong. What kindness could you do today that would help raise your relationship equity? What could you do tomorrow that would help raise this balance? Now, these are concepts that I think are helpful for every marriage. But you know, there's got to be one or two or 10 or 20 people who are here that your marriage is kind of... You're just struggling. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling condemned or feeling bad. Let me give you, I want to give you three tools. Pastor Andy will give you more tools in the next couple weeks. But let me give you three really quickly. The first one is you need to know there are some rules for conflict. Now, there's the obvious rules, no hitting or pushing, okay? That's the obvious rule. But there's more than that. The first rule of conflict, and these are in your notes on the app, if you, so you don't need to remember them all, but the first one is you can only argue with the person in the room. So, Pastor Ron, how would I argue with someone who's not in the room? We do it all the time. You and your spouse are going head to head, and then your spouse asks you, who are you really upset with? You stop, you realize you're really upset with someone at work. Or you're really upset with your mom or dad. Or you're really upset with your teenager. And you are just arguing back and forth with your spouse. The first rule of conflict is to stop and ask yourselves, who are we upset with? Am I upset, excuse me, upset with someone who's not in the room? You need to know about half of conflicts go away instantly when you stop and say, wait a minute. I'm taking this out on you. Here's what I'm really upset about. After pastoring for 30 years, there were a lot of times I went home and I jumped all over Debbie because I just wanted to run over a parishioner with my car, okay? (laughs) Now, I know Pastor Andy is much too loving, and that's why we have him instead of me, okay, is because he's loving, gentle, and tender, and I wanted to run people down, okay? And so I'd go home and, you know, I'd start a fight with her, and she'd stop, and she'd learn. She'd ask, what are you really bothered about? And I'd stop... I'm bothered about this. And all of a sudden, we could be on the same page of trying to figure out, okay, what would be a better way for me to handle this? Even being angry with someone else, she could help me with that instead of me taking it out on her. So the first rule of conflict is we're only gonna argue with people in the room. The second rule is we're gonna take turns talking. We're gonna listen for the feelings instead of the facts, and we're going to avoid saying, you always... Now, listening for the feelings instead of the facts is the most important thing in that sentence that I said. Because oftentimes, how do you know if you're listening for the facts instead of the feelings? You say this. Well, a few minutes ago, you said this. You're listening for the facts instead of the feelings. Well, you know, before you said this. Friends, this isn't about catching someone in a contradiction. It doesn't matter doesn't matter if I said something different. No, this is about what I'm feeling. This is about what she's feeling. Listen for the feelings, not the facts. Listen, is she saying she feels insecure? Is she saying that she feels hurt? 
Is she saying that, that she feels disappointment? Is, what, what is she feeling? What is he feeling? Is he scared? Is he worried about something that's going on? Is he worried about one of your kids? What is he feeling? Listen for the feelings instead of the facts. Only fight with people in the room. Listen for the feeling instead of the facts. And the third one there, own your part. Don't worry so much about fault. Just own your part. You know, I handled this badly. Here's what I said that I shouldn't have said that. Just own your part. It's okay to be wrong. It's not, a, it's not the end of the world. I am wrong regularly. I am wrong all the time. And it just doesn't matter. I have been loving and faithful to my wife for 40 years. She has been loving and faithful to me for 40 years. It doesn't matter if it's my fault. doesn't matter if it's her fault. We only have one goal. And that is moving forward together. Look at this next one. Here's your second one. We're going to, after getting better at conflict, we're going to squish. We're going to squish Zod. Now, that's not from the Superman movie. We're going to squish Zod. That stands for zone of disappointment. Here's what you're expecting. Here's what they're delivering. And this is the zone of disappointment. You're expecting that he's going to help with this. This is all he's helping with. This is the zone of disappointment. Husbands, you are expecting this is going to happen, and this is all that's really happening. This is the zone of disappointment. What do we do? We begin to squish the zone of disappointment. We lower our expectations. We raise our game. Whenever Debbie used to, to travel, she'd come home and and she'd always have this just terrible look on her face when she walked in the house. Because she'd walk in the house, and the house looked like, like the boys and I had just torn it to pieces. And she'd come home, and she'd feel so disappointed. And you know, I, I thought, no, I need to raise my game. She lowered her expectations. She doesn't expect me to be good at cleaning it. But I'm good at picking it up. I'm good at, it, when my wife goes out of town, I will not eat off a plate. I just don't. I immediately go and I buy paper plates and paper cups. I mean, I will not eat off a plate or drink out of a cup because I am not going to have... Ross came over when she was in Oregon this last time visiting her family. He went to take a plate out of the cupboard. I said, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> and, oh, yeah, mom's not home. Put it back. If I have to, if I have to cook something, I, I'll put all those dirty dishes in the... I'll save up dirty dishes and stuff for a week till she gets home the night before I start that dishwasher, baby. I mean, she comes home, there is nothing in the sink. If I have to throw a pan away to avoid having stuff in the sink, what am I doing? I am upping my game. If, if you'll try this, you'll find tension will almost immediately begin to dissipate. You are so mad at him or her over this, and you are so failing one another. Friends, we all talk about how good we are at stuff. Pastor Andy's always telling us what a great basketball player he was in college, and he really was. He played for a, you know, a, a, a national team. I mean, he, he was good. But to his, his wife, she just wants him not to be able to hit the three-pointers. She just wants him to be able to hit the hamper, okay? And so the, oftentimes we, we, we just fail. No. We're going to lower our expectations. We're going to raise our game. What does that do? It squishes the zone of disappointment. And then the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to play with do-overs. You're going to say the wrong thing from time to time. That's going to happen. Ladies, you need to know he's going to say something stupid. 
He's going to. It's wired into the male brain, okay? It's just going to happen. And so you can either take it to your grave being mad about it, or you can practice do-overs. Husbands, she's going to say the hurtful thing from time to time. You can take it to your grave and be angry about it, or you can practice do-overs. What this means is you're arguing, 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 and all of a sudden you realize, "Mm, I've handled this badly. The other day, Debbie had invited someone to stay at our house, and and you know, it wasn't the boys, it was, uh, in fact, it was a family coming over. And you know, I thought, oh man, people coming over. Need to know, in fact, can't figure this out. I'm not really extroverted, okay? Kind of introverted. I don't like to talk to a lot of people. I don't mind talking to you a little bit, but not a lot. And so she invited me, and you know, she said that to me. And I mean, I just, the wheels came off. I just came unglued. And after a few minutes, I realized, oh, shoot. And I, I, saw, I said, you know, I handle this badly. I want do-overs. And so she said, okay. She said, where do you want to take it back to? I'm going to go out and come in again. Went back outside. Came back in. Said, hey, what's happening? She said, you know, honey, I should have ran it by you. I just, I couldn't get a hold of you. And so, I, and I didn't really think that much about it. The so-and-so's coming to stay with us for a few days. And I said, okay, that's great. Walk back out. And that was the end of it. Friends, I won't golf with people who don't allow do-overs. One time I hit the ball about four feet. Guy with me said, Pastor, what are you going to do with that? I said, I am going to pick it up and hit it again. You got any questions about that? He said, no, Pastor, I was going to suggest it. Allow do-overs in your marriage. Those will help you get rid of a lot of conflict. Those are just tools. Now, you may be wondering, you know, Pastor Ron, you're telling us to do kind stuff for our spouse. What are you doing? What's she doing for you? What are you doing for her? I am... I'm taking swing dancing lessons. Say, Pastor Ron, you want to learn to swing dance? Are you nuts? There's other people at the dance. There's other people. We have to lesson. They rotate. They, want, they wanted someone else. They wanted some other woman to step in front of me and for me to, and I thought, honey, if you take one step, we're done, okay? And I said, you just stay right here. And so they all rotated. They took one look at me. Out of 30 people, only one guy was stupid enough to ask me. Everyone else could tell by the look on my face, just keep on walking. <laughs> Friends. I am doing that because she wants to do it. But she does kindnesses for me all the time. My wife has a habit of telling me why I ought to be happy about stuff that I'm obviously not happy about. (laughs) I am unhappy when I'm stuck in traffic. But for some reason, she wants to explain to me why it's not so bad. You need to know this is the wrong approach. We just learned this in the last few weeks. I was stuck in traffic. I could see all this wonderful technology. I could see right where the wreck was. And you know, I, wasn't, I, I was praying everyone was all right, but couldn't we drag them to the side of the road? But <laughs> For those of you who are police officers, would it really be that hard? <laughs> I'd get out and help. But she's explaining to me why, oh, we're just spending time together. It's not that big a deal. And, a, and I, I said, honey, and finally, after 40 years... She looked at me and she said, honey, what could I do to make this better? That was the right question. I said, 
do you have any milk duds in your purse? And she said, no. I said, okay. In the future, I have milk duds. Last week, family and church invited us down to, I mean, it was a great restaurant, but I mean, it was in Timbuktu. Invited us, we go down, we drive down. And I, I mean, I'm on this, this, there's only two lanes here. And these people managed to get in, get in a wreck. I'm stuck in traffic again. And I'm sitting there and I'm not happy. And you know, she started to say something, then she stopped, reached in her purse, pulled out a box of milk duds. I looked at her and I said, I could tear your clothes off right now. I want to pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for whatever families may be going through, either a marriage that's coming up or a marriage that they've just begun or maybe one that's even struggling. Lord, I pray that you will help them, that God, we will take your word and plant it like seeds in our hearts so that we would see our marriages grow. Lord, I pray no one will go out of here discouraged, but they'll go out of here feeling like, I could do that. I could do that. God, I pray that we would never get past the point of seeing your word as something that's to be lived out in our lives. And I pray that you would help anyone who's facing discouragement or struggles in their marriage or any other area of their life. Lord, we ask your blessing on them in your name. We pray. Amen. I love you a lot. It's my privilege to come and talk to you. God bless you.